Dalton Thieneman. We have another big time guest for you today, which we're excited to introduce. But before then, Cracked Rackets has had plenty of things going on recently that we want to update you on. Just today, we announced that former All-ACC and Louisville standout Alex Gornett is joining Cracked Rackets as a freelance writer while he continues to pursue a career on the Pro Tour. We're extremely excited to have Alex on. Um, He'll definitely bring a different dynamic and perspective to the team. So join us in welcoming Alex to the Cracked Rackets family. And despite it technically being the tennis offseason, we have plenty of new content rolling for you now at Cracked Rackets with the Tennis Tribune series ongoing, the College Contenders series this week covering UCLA and the Next Gen series. Uh, Alex Gruskin is also highlighting some year-end awards for you, and we have an incredible project we've been doing on the side, the 30 for 30 style docu-series that is on the horizon. So stay tuned for all that and more at CrackedRackets.com. Also, the Great Shot Podcast has been churning out content like no other. Of course, you know those guys by now. Uh, The most recent episode was with longtime tennis journalist and historian Jonathan Kelly. So in terms of Cracked Rackets news, it's been a busy, busy time around here, Um, especially after uh, bouncing back from Thanksgiving. I think we all kind of had a Thanksgiving hangover, but we're back and better than ever around here. Uh, So if you haven't already, go check out the Great Shop podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fleener have a real treat for you every Wednesday. Go subscribe and rate their podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. But on this edition of the Cracked Interviews, American tennis player Noah Rubin joins the pod to discuss the dynamic between the next-gen American players, the grind of the ATP season, and expectations for 2018, and then also gives an inside scoop about his sponsor. So this is a good one, folks. I know you're really going to enjoy this. So for now, enjoy my conversation with Noah. Today we are extremely, extremely excited to welcome to the podcast Noah Rubin. Noah is one of the Next Gen Americans that Gruskin and the entire team have been covering through our Next Gen series. So obviously we had to provide a quick plug there. So go check out the Noah Rubin Next Gen American article at CrackedRackets.com. And speaking of Gruskin, Gruskin's my co-host today. So welcome, Alex. Um, Alex is a Cracked Rackets contributor and the host of the Great Shop podcast. So thanks for coming on, Gruskin, and welcome to the pod, Noah. Thank you so much, guys. 
So, so no, I don't know how much you know about Cracked Rackets. We're a, a new company with the goal of providing coverage to junior collegiate and professional players, but a focus to players like you who don't get as much coverage as you deserve. And uh, we're trying to bring a, a wider audience to tennis as a whole, but just trying to provide coverage to as many high-level players as possible. And we're obviously excited about, you know, the next-gen American class here. So. Well, we appreciate that because uh, Penn is not at the forefront of sports in America, so we can use some. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, my co-host tonight, Alex Gruskin. Yeah, excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to doing this. Um, so I, you know, I was so excited to join the Crack Racket team for opportunities like this. You know, I, you might not know this, but I'm 22 myself, so... I've obviously grown up seeing how good, you know, this class of tennis players are and frustrated with these American players. It's a lot of fun to get an opportunity to talk to you guys and be excited about your future and hopefully share that with all the tennis fans out there. Well, thank you. Yeah, and the uh, the flattery is over from there because, uh, <laughs> you know, now, now it's all hard-hitting questions. Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. All right, so let's start it off. Um, so obviously for a kid like me, I saw your 2014 summer and it was incredible. You know, you start out qualifying for junior Wimbledon, you take home that title. Obviously you have success at Kalamazoo as well, winning singles and doubles. If you could go back and replay one of those finals, would it be the Wimbledon final where you beat Kozlov and, you know, you get to put at your name in Wimbledon history? Or would you take that Kalamazoo final, you know, play Colin one more time and, get to play in front of that home crowd at the u.s open god that's a tough one uh i would almost take my doubles title because that was probably the last time i was seen on the doubles <laughs> <laughs> uh besides that i would probably say wimbledon i mean you know you look i was playing i was put on an hour before the djokovic federer match and the people that were in court one they had to pay to see us they had to buy that ticket it was an incredible experience you know ten thousand people watching us Grass is something I never played on, and you know to have a week like that was incredible. Um, you know, I flew out 24 hours before my first round qualifying match. I was kind of done with juniors prior to that, and I, you know, and I said, might as well just play the last junior tournaments I have. It was an incredible experience, and my dad will forever speak of it. Um, <laughs> I would, I would As he should. Take, yeah, I'll probably take that, but. You know, Kalamazoo, I did end with blueberries and cream at the end, and you can't. <laughs> As a Michigan native, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I actually got them to restart the machine for me because they closed it down. I was like, I better have that going again. It's the least they can do for a champion. I mean, I don't ask for too much. I just. <laughs> so, did that uh, junior Wimbledon title, is that one of those defining moments in your career where? you know, you knew you had a special talent and and that was going to translate to the pro tour. Honestly, I didn't think about it at all. You know, I mean, it might sound cheesy, but to be honest, that week was kind of for my dad. It was kind of show him how much work he put in and how much he can get out of it. And it was great. I mean, he was, I mean, I was obviously happy winning it, but for him, it was, it was more of a journey and seeing all the hours he put in. Um, I didn't really correlate it to professional tennis. I mean, I, I knew, you know, I was playing futures and some challengers at the time. And I knew that there was definitely some potential, um, but I found that out later on that I can kind of play with some of the best players in the world. Uh, that was just a really fantastic week that will forever be with me. 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome. I can only imagine how fun that entire time was. Um, you know, not to showboat, but I won a club tennis national title, and, you know, that's not freaking Wimbledon, so I can only imagine <laughs> how glorious, you know, it must have all been. I like how you but, dropped that, Kruskin. That was a casual <laughs> drop right there. <laughs> you know, I'm criticizing all of these guys' games. I got to let them know what my credentials are. But a question off of that, so you talk about, you know, how much time you spent as a junior and how, you know, you work towards goals like Wimbledon and Kalamazoo. I know you grew up in New York and, you know, the weather's not the best in New York. There's definitely snow during the winters and you have to spend a lot of time indoors. Was the shift from playing a mix of both indoor and outdoor to then mostly outdoor tournaments, has that affected your game? Uh, actually, I think I thoroughly enjoy outdoors way more than indoors at this point. I mean, uh, but as a junior, yes, you know, I was indoors 10 months out of the year and Mitchell Kruger would tell you when Kalamazoo a few years before I won it, I went indoors to play him and he had no idea what hit him because I was the only (laughs) one that played indoors. I was really, I mean, so, you know, as a junior, I loved indoors and, but now my game has progressed to more of an outdoor style, um, but I will forever have some some good memories indoors. And, you know, I never went to the academies in Florida when I was younger. So I, I stuck in New York and, you know, we have some cold weather every once in a while. <laughs> well, you know, if you would have come to Michigan instead of Wake Forest. And actually, I heard some rumors back in the day you were considering Michigan. You could have played, you know, inside tennis all year round. I know, I know. I had, yeah, Michigan was definitely in the mix for a while. Um, you know, it came down to UVA and Wake at the end. It was all tough decisions. I mean, I knew a lot of the teams. I knew a lot of the coaches. But, yeah, somehow got to Wake at the end. Talk us through maybe your relationship with Coach Bresky at, at Wake and how you ultimately decided to go to Wake over UVA. What was the deciding factor there? So my coach, Lawrence Klager, who coached me my whole life and, we're, you know, we're still really close. He coached Corey Parr, who went to Wake Forest, but it was prior to the Bresky era there. Bresky was actually at UVA at the time, assistant for Boland. And Corey spoke so highly of him and said he would do anything for his players. And just, you know, that really, you know, that that settled on me and thought that somebody from another team could speak so highly of another coach, you know, might as well check it out. And, you know, at the time, obviously, to this day, UVA still has one of the best teams and they will forever have a great recruiting class and we'll continue that. But, you know, it might sound a little arrogant, but Wake didn't have too many players prior to me, and I, I knew they would put in a lot of effort, and I saw that their staff was built, that they were going to kill the time. Whether I needed a hit at 6 a.m. or midnight, I saw that they would be out there, and you know that, that was great. And I really enjoyed my year there, and uh, thought I got a lot out of it, and happy, happy to have done it. If you could actually clear something up for me, so I followed these stat lines. A name I could never pronounce properly. Is it Romain Bogarts? How, how do you say the last name? <laughs> Romain Bogarts. 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 Okay, that's big. That changes a lot of things. I'm glad you cleared <laughs> that up, Gruskin. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm glad I, I, if we take nothing else out of this. <laughs> exactly. But so I have to ask you, you, you know, you mentioned UVA. Obviously, there's a blossoming rivalry between Wake Forest and UVA. And we'll throw UNC in there as well, obviously, given their success. Um, I know they lost some seniors. But if you could have a UNC or UVA, you know, wins over both of those programs in one year or a Wake Forest football national title, which would you take? <laughs> oh god it was such a tough year for Wake football when i was there i mean we <laughs> one in acc 
game and we would, you know, throw toilet paper all over the quad. I was like, <laughs> come on, guys, let's, let's tone it down a little bit. We won one game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was there, I would love to have a UVA win. You know, we had a tough ACC battle with them where I won my match and Romain won his and we lost the rest. So I would definitely take a UVA win that year. That would have been great. <laughs> For sure. I mean, they did get those wins last year, and a uh, shameless plug here, but on Cracked Racket, go check out our preview of the college tennis season. We wrote about Wake Forest. Um, it should be up there at the time this podcast is released. I'll ask you as well, give me your two-minute spiel on why Wake Forest is going to win the national title this year. Oof. I mean, we've had some... It's been tough for the NCAAs for us, but we have been playing extremely well. We have a team that's been together for a while now. I'm really excited to see how they play. If, you know, if everybody's focused and ready to go, Petros is playing great tennis. I, I think we, I don't see why not. I mean, I will, most teams don't have the depth we have at this point. So it's exciting. They've definitely got some veterans coming back, but last one, I swear. Sure. Skander Mansouri, best hair in all tennis. Oh, hands down. He was best <laughs> hair in juniors. Probably the craziest person I know, but he is incredible. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. If you're not scared of him on the other side of the doubles net, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> Uh, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Uh, there have been in the past college tennis naysayers among, you know, some of the talking tennis heads in the, in the community. A lot of those have been put to rest. You know, you've had a lot of players on tour have success at the highest levels. If you were to tell yourself, you know, you're back 18 years old, you're going through the recruitment process, you're considering, you know, going pro for a kid in your shoes back then, would you recommend going to college for a year like you did? Yeah, I really don't see why not. Um, you know, first of all, I saw the longevity of tennis players. You know, it was turning out that the top players were 28 to 32, and it was only increasing in age. And and then I also thought, what can I get out of it? How can this change my game? And finally, you know, I had a great contract. It was that I can go there for a year. Uh, I would make my mom happy, my Jewish mother, of course, <laughs> and I would have no regrets. You know, I don't want to be five years later and thinking maybe I should have gone to school. Maybe it would have helped me out. So I think it was great. I got to experience the dual matches, play challengers in the fall. Um, I don't think it was a waste of time at all. I got to meet some great people. Everybody really helped me out there. And now I have a team supporting me forever and, and I'm part of another community. So I would definitely say a year was great there. Yeah. And those Winston-Salem wild cards certainly don't hurt. Yes, they don't hurt. I mean, I got <laughs> one, so hopefully we can get back in the main draw of the Open so I can get another. Uh, you're not going to need them soon. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you've also mentioned that, you know, you've trained full-time at JMTA, and, uh, you know, a lot of the other guys have trained down in Florida or Cali at the USCA campuses. Do you see yourself potentially transitioning into one of those campuses in the future, moving your base to where you're training on a regular basis in season and out? Well, actually, to be honest with you, I, I kind of had made the move already. Um, yeah. I'm with, yeah. I'm working with Stanford Boster as part of the USDA. And, you know, a few weeks a year plus off season, I'll be in Orlando with USDA. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a New York guy. It has everything I need there. So I'll probably never move or leave there. And with all the travel I'll be doing, especially hopefully if I'm injury free next year, there won't be too much time throughout the year for me to be really um, training. Uh, so if there's a four or five day period, I'll probably be home. But for the most part, yes, I, I am training at Orlando 
um, you know, with Carl Spinoski, who's a UVA guy, and Stanford Boster, who worked with some top names, who's great. So, I, is that move to Orlando? You know, obviously the weather's awesome. Is that so, you know, you can get your fitness time on the beach or wherever you see, you know, the new facility is obviously gorgeous. But then also you have all of those players there, you know, the, all of those next-gen guys, the Bjorn Fratangelo's, Mitchell Kruger, so you can get on-court time with them as well. Is that really, you know, that's obviously the point of the National Center? Yeah, I mean, it's really to bring everybody together. And, you know, no matter how much I need my time alone and away from the tennis <laughs> guys, you know, it, it really is, you know, it's a great opportunity to be practicing with them and, you know, especially like an off season where you can get a good two and a half weeks and I'll be in Orlando training with those guys. So it's a, it's a good time and it's a great atmosphere. But again, New York will forever be my home. So. All right. So actually, you know, you did obviously get a big win today over Dom Kopfer, a guy who I actually had the pleasure of seeing play in person. I went down, I have some friends on the UNC team and also a friend on Dartmouth, so we saw that regional. And uh, I was watching the replay of the match, you know, I had to do my research, be prepared. And he really <laughs> he really did an excellent job, you know, keying on his backhand, making sure whether it was the forehand short angle, but then opening up the forehand down the line, really sticking to that game plan all match long. Obviously, the late break in the first set, then 6-3 in the second. I guess for your game plan, is that something where, it's mostly word of mouth. You're asking other players who have played him, or is that something through film study, whether it's YouTube clips, uh, scouting reports? How do you come up with a game plan like that? You know, most coaches nowadays will have in their phones, you go through their notes, they'll have a, probably 550 players marked down already. So that's not really an issue. Um, for me, I really don't like to know too much about another player before I go on the court. I feel I like, I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but I feel if I play my tennis, my game, the way I want to play, I should be comfortable. I should have my openings. Um, with that being said, I'm pretty good at analyzing certain matches. Um, where I am in my game right now, I'm trying to just get confidence back. It's been, it's been a tough two years for me with some injuries, and I'm just trying to play the way I want to play and hopefully go into the 2018 season injury-free. And just, you know, with some confidence and just ready to go. So I mean, keep drinking that Voss water and your body will feel fine. I mean, that's what we're hoping. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's yeah. a plug there. Shout out to Voss. <laughs> yeah, of course. At Voss Water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I could get, you know, one more in about the down-the-line shot. I really am a fan, both the forehand and the backhand, the way you're able to flatten it out and smack that down the line. Uh, is that something you key on? Is that part of your game plan? And I know you don't want to reveal too much about yourself, but is that something you're you know, always keying in on? Well, my backhand down line has always been a favorite shot of mine. That's just kind of what it is. Uh, the forehand down line has been a work in progress. Uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of stuff with Stan Boster, and he's been great. So that's definitely been something we've been working on. And it's exciting to kind of see in action. And, you know, even if it's one or two executions of matches, it definitely feels good. Um, and again, I'm, I'm going to switch gears. That's what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> yeah, if not, I'll just ask you about all the matches. <laughs> Druskin <laughs> has gone through all of your tape, you know, all your YouTube highlights. He knows it all. So he's going to, yeah. he's going to ask those deep questions. I'm going to be more at the helicopter level, but, um, I'm the correct rackets, tennis historian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with this crop of young Americans, you know, the talent and, and the hype around it and the entire class, really, there's a, the potential of restoring American tennis to the glory days, you know, Sampras, Sampras Agassi. Um, where do you see American tennis going? What's the trajectory like? Is the hype real? And, and where do you see this group of players in the next three to five years, including yourself, obviously? 
Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, obviously, you talk about next gen, which is, you know, younger guys, but, you know, you take out of consideration the guys that are 25 and still have eight years left to play. Uh, it's, it's a great group of guys. And obviously, stats are in our favor here. You know, not everybody's going to make it to top 50. And, you know, even being 100 in the world is incredible. But we want to see those top 50 guys, the top 20 guys, and, you know, a large crop of them. And I think with the players that we have, I think it's definitely there. And you see it when foreigners, you know, they do very well in their home countries, but then they come to the States and play us. And they see it's just a different level of tennis. Depth is different, you know, from first round of a challenger, you will be playing a great American. And there's something to be said for that. I think people are starting to fear America again and see that, you know, we have depth. We have all the different types of players you can want. And I don't see why we can't have, you know, five, six guys inside the top 50 and, you know, maybe even more and lower down. And it's really exciting. You know, it's and then we push each other. We have that friendly competition on and off the court. And it's whether we're best friends or not, we, you know, we support each other and we're there. And it's a great it's a great road to be on together. You know, I know Mitchell Kruger and Bjorn Fertangel are a little bit older, but uh, I consider them part of that same crop as you guys. And could you talk a little bit about how, you know, them being those few years older, maybe they had a few experiences that they helped you with, helped you travel, helped you make sure you have your hotels. Talk about their influence. And do you consider them part of your group? Yeah, actually, you know, you named two guys that I'm, you know, a little closer with than others. Mitchell, I've traveled with quite often. Uh, Bjorn, you know, you know, we're pretty close. And you have like the Tennis Sangren and you have this Dennis Kudla. And there's, you know, around that same 23 to 26 range. And you experience a lot. And even if you take 1% of what they say in, you know, there's, and whether you think they're intelligent or not, they're, they have something to say and they have something to bring to the table because they've just been doing it for so much longer than I have. And I always, you know, I always welcome any feedback that they have and just talking to them is great. You know, they've, they've been grinding for a while and I see that, you know, you keep at it, you keep going and there will be breaks and, you know, you put the effort in your professional you will find opportunities. It's just in your favor. The stats are there. So it's, you know, it's been exciting playing with them and having other guys. And you have guys older like Tim Smichek, who's, you know, 29 or so, and he's still playing. He came back to play these. And, you know, it's, you just get from all different levels, all different ages. And it's nice because we all support each other and have something to offer. And, you know, really, it's a well-rounded group. Absolutely. And and it's, you know, definitely trending upward for sure. But you have to clear something up for us. Is uh, Tennis Sangren, is he the Hulk Hogan of tennis? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got the facial hair. He's got the face that's a little bit. Uh, but no. well, I don't want to incriminate myself here, but <laughs> actually it was really funny because today, you know, I'm pretty close to him. Today I went up to him and I was like, Sangren, you have to do something about the hair. It's gone longer than ever. <laughs> How I did don't he serve? Think- I don't think this is actually conducive to playing good tennis. And he's like, you know, it's the end of the year. This is what it's going to look like. So, you know, that's all it is. So I let him be. <laughs> yeah, he cracked He cracked with top 100 this year. Whatever works for him, man. Yeah, got to let him go. Yeah, talk, talk a little more about, um, you kind of alluded to it earlier, the dynamic within uh, this group of next-gen players. You know, now that you're training down in Lake Nona in Orlando, is it pretty, It's it's got to be a nice resource at the very least, having all these top guys that have the same mindset, that are hungry, always on the court. I mean, what's the dynamic with all of you guys? 
I think the the most important, I think I said it already, but it was just how well-rounded we are. You know, you have the Riley Opelka, the tremendous serve. Then you have grinders. Then you have, you know, serve and volley. You have everything you could possibly want. So the practices, you know, for whatever surface, you, you can get everybody. And it's really great to be there, train on every surface with every different type of style, tennis. And, you know, for the most part, we're all really, you know, we're all really friendly with each other. Nobody really has anything bad to say about each other. Um, I'm sure we could think of a few things, but for the most part, we're, we're, you know, we're pretty close knit and it's been a great road and it would be nice, you know, to see us all grow together and see where we are five years from now, six years from now. And, you know, it's, it's been a good road so far. So a couple of fun ones then about, you know, everyone being together in Orlando. Um, obviously you guys have free time, you know, you can only spend so much time on a tennis court each day. Uh, a couple quick ones, I guess. Who's the most enjoyable to go out with of all the guys in Orlando or the girls, you know, whoever, whoever you go out with. (laughs) Oh, that's tough. Yeah. So they'll probably say I'm extremely boring. I don't, you know, (laughs) too often. You're Uh, a fresh 21. You have things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Your coach is nudging you like, be a PC man. (laughs) No, I mean, for the most part, I'm a really boring, I'm an old soul. So I get to be boring, but you know, just hanging out with a lot of guys, they have so many different personalities. I mean, you have Francis Tiafo, who I've known forever and he's a clown. He's a great guy. He doesn't mean any harm. (laughs) He's, He's just a clown. You have Riley Opelka and Tommy Paul, they have their own languages with Taylor Fritz. And it's just, it's this whole camaraderie that you just have to get used to. And you have to take everything with a grain of salt. And it's just, you know, if you don't take anything too seriously, it's, it's a fun time. And, you know, everybody, you know, respects each other. And, it, you know, we really don't have any problems, which is, you know, for such a large group of so many different backgrounds, it's tough to say. So, <laughs> uh, so, you know, with the amount of travel that the tour entails, coupled with, you know, the time required to spend on your craft, developing your game on and off the court. Is it difficult staying close with, you know, family and friends and, and, um, you know, being on the road so much, is there a difficulty or is it nice having, you know, the downtime at tournaments or at practice to catch up with people? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the reason a lot of people besides injuries, I think it's one of the most, it's one of the reasons why people stop playing is because the travel just weighs on them, whether they have a family or, Girlfriend, whatever it is, they miss time. And, you know, from a very early age, I learned that first I learned it was a sacrifice. And then I learned, no, it's not a sacrifice because I'm doing something that's maybe out of the norm, something that will set me up for a future that most people can only wish for. And, you know, I started finding that out when I started missing bar mitzvahs, of course. That was like the first. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, yeah, you move on. Then you start missing more school and hangouts and you start losing friends and you realize, you know, if your family cares, the closest friends you have will stay. You know, I had a girlfriend for four years. Um, you know, it, you can really, you could do everything. And the people that are meant to be in your life will stay in your life and respect what you do. So, yes, it, it does weigh on you living out of a suitcase, traveling constantly. Um, you know, it improves as you get better. You know, you go to better places. The travel's kind of more set up for you. But it, it, it's been a long journey, and God willing, I have 14 more years, 15 more years of doing this. So you have to, you just have to enjoy every aspect of it. And it's tough to say because, you know, you'll see as the tournaments, these two tournaments progress, people start losing their minds because it's been a long year of traveling. That's it weighs on you. It really does. So the people that can keep their focus for 10 years straight will have a breakthrough. It is just how it works. So. Yeah, for sure. That I mean, that sounds 
no, that sounds like it's part of the grind. That must be frustrating, especially, I imagine, having played at the U.S. Open, having played in an NCAA singles final. Um, you, you like the big stages, and, you know, you get, you, you know, it helps when you have your support group at these matches, and it's really hard for your support group to travel to these random futures, these distant challengers. So I imagine, you know, keeping in touch with coaches um, is very difficult. Do you travel with a coach? So I've been traveling with Stanford Boster, um, who also works with Stefan Kozlov. I've been traveling with him for a little while now. So I've been fortunate for that. Um, you know, I was always a very independent person. You know, I knew my game very well. I was very thoughtful. So it was okay to travel on my own sometimes, but sometimes you just need that support to be there for you. And, you know, regardless of how you like doing things on your own or not, another eye will always pick up something you can't. So it's been nice having stand on the road with me to pick out things that I might've missed and, you know, just be there to help. Kind of on this, along the same lines, how do you maintain, um, you know, regimented diet while traveling on the road? Are you gluten free? Are you part of the tribe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fully gluten free, uh, but I won't have pasta and bread. You know, if it's a few things here and there, I won't nitpick, but for the most part, I do feel, heavier you know if i have a bowl of pasta or bread so i'll get the unwitch at jimmy john's if i have to <laughs> oh my gosh a criminal sin <laughs> oh. oh no you just fell in the power rankings you know but from a very early age i had a great diet i mean quick story my mom put pepper in my soda when i was younger you know my both my parents put down my soda with pepper when I was two years old, so I'd hate the taste. So that's kind of like the mentality I grew up with and always kept that. But obviously, I got to a higher level with just taking care of my drinks and other little things just to make sure I'm ready. Because, you know, when you play the longer matches, five sets, or, you know, you're going back to back, really, it is important to know that you're getting on the court and you're fitter and you're ready to, bu- you're ready to fight. You know, um, we already gave the free plug to Voss, but I'll do one more. What in the name of you know, uh, sorry, I didn't want to use a religious figure, but uh, what in the name of Jesus is simply gum? I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you got to get that money, and I totally respect that. But my dude, Orbit. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I was, you asked about, you know, the diet and everything. We're talking, this is gum that's organic. They can just throw it out the window because it's biodegradable. I thought, why not, you know? Oh. They throw the gum my way. I love See, the biodegradable, sorry, the biodegradable thing I'm in on. Yeah, and if I have to deal with some guys, you know, making fun of me, I'll deal with that. That's, that's fine. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> pretty. That's it. Sounds like that's the up and coming product. Is that you know non GMO, not you know non biodegradable? It's got all the you know the hip you stuff. The so that, Believe yeah, me, you're not break the first through. to make fun of it. I, I get made fun about almost everything I do at this point. So I, you know, <laughs> I don't <really> care. <laughs> well, then on that on that note, um, you know, I did a little Instagram deep dive and. Of course. You know, does the Simply Gum, the good diet, the boss water, does that help you with the shirtless picks? I mean, you know, you put about one every, you know, eight weeks so, or so just to spice yeah. it off. It's all about so branding. Yeah. You got to let the ladies know, for sure. I love it. To. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm recently single. It's, It's been, <laughs> you know, it just helps the brand a little bit. You know, I, I can't overdo it because then, you know, Opelka, Paul, Kozlov, they'll all tell me. So that's not a problem. <laughs> the, the fact that you're embracing it means everything. It means you're in. I'm, I'm totally in on it. So kind of, you know, again, transitioning uh, with the fitness, what is your, you know, on-court to fitness training time split? Is it 50-50 or does it vary throughout the season? 
You know, it's a tough season. As you know, tennis is one of the toughest seasons probably out of any sport, and nobody really knows about it. I mean, we have 11 months. We have probably one to two weeks vacation, then we're back grinding off season, then we're back on the road. So it's tough to manage it. Sometimes you have, you know, a week where you can grind it out through the year, and sometimes, you know, you just don't have time at all. So it's just a lot of rehab throughout the year. Um, off season is a great time to really push the body, but. You know, I've been working with this guy for about two and a half years now back home named Richard Mensing, and he's incredible. He's worked with some top players. And for somebody of my my size, you know, I'm five foot nine, 155 soaking wet. Uh, I really have to put in the effort to, you know, be in the best shape possible, knowing that my legs can do it and I can be there for five sets. So, you know, you can ask a lot of the players when I get on court in practice, I am running around the court, making sure I'm running down balls that are 10 feet out just because that's how I know I have to get my legs working and I'll kill the off the off season training and whenever I'm home I'll work with Richard Mensing and you know we'll really put in a lot of effort. So I've gotten my body to a point where I can tolerate almost anything and I'm excited to keep pushing there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're doing a next gen sh- you know, another shameless plug, but we're doing a next gen series on Cracked Ragged. And now if you like this conversation with Noah, please go check those out. Uh there you know we've spent a lot of time on them and they're a lot of fun for us to do. But one of the things I want to ask about this next-gen group, uh, who to you is the most fun to play doubles with? Yeah, I mean, my first joke I made was I haven't been on a doubles course since Kalamazoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so none of them. None of them well, is acceptable. Well, yet. I'll answer in a different way. Who is the most fun to watch play doubles is probably Francis Tiafoe. Yeah. For sure. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I, I mean, he will with volleys. He'll be sitting on the bench when the point's going on still. I've never, you can't get the guy to focus sometimes. It is hysterical. I've seen some incredible things, but it is fun to watch. I know somewhere Stefan Kozlov is crying considering you won that KZU title together. He's like, how was I not the obvious answer? <laughs> <laughs> Way too obvious. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So then who of the group's the best trash talker? Oh, God. I mean, you know, you have the combination of Opelka and Paul, and they'll talk trash, but they have their own lingo. I don't know if you follow them or hear them, and they have their own stuff. So if you can understand them, it's probably good, but it's every week they have a new word, and I just try to get used to it. So I, I nod my head, and I turn around, and that's it. All right. I'm stealing this one from James Blake, who asked this at the U.S. Open, but who's the best dressed? I mean, I would hate to give, I mean, I would have to give this one to me. I think most yeah. of them, <laughs> there we go. I think a lot of them would make fun of me. You can ask Mitchell Kruger. He makes fun of me all the time. Uh, you know, I'm from New York. You know, I like brands. What am I going to do? I grew up <laughs> but, you know, I, I do take pretty good care of myself in that regard. Uh, you know, a lot of the other ones have a lot of street style, and I'll give them that. But, you know, mine's a little more classic. Uh, Gruskin, if you don't have anything else, uh, Noah, we do have a uh, another segment. It's called the rapid fire segment. I'm just going to ask ten questions in rapid succession. Oh, I hate provide, these. You're going to provide one word answers. I'm sure you're already a veteran. These work by far. I'm going to blank on all of them. Quick hint. <laughs> quick hint. One of the answers is smell. Just trust me. You'll know it when you get there. It'll be obvious. All right. All right. You ready to rock? Let's do it. All righty. Favorite tennis player. Monfi. Favorite drink on the court? Uh, scratch electrolytes. Voss. <laughs> they don't like to bring it on court. They don't allow me. <laughs> Favorite meal off the court? Chicken wings. Favorite video game? FIFA. 
if you were to take away any stroke, which would it be? Take away any stroke? Yes. Take it away. Drop, Throw it out. Drop shot. Favorite song or artist right now? Oh, you're killing me, Skip. Come on. Well, I got to go back. back. I, I got to go back then. The drop shot, you're fast as hell. <laughs> yeah, but I don't like hitting them. Favorite surface? Clay. Favorite city in the world? Paris. Favorite athlete non-tennis related? Henrik Lundqvist. I'll go back to it. Favorite song or artist to warm up to, maybe? Oh, God, you're killing me. Oh, J. Cole right now. The favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the smell. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. So that's it. Uh, Noah, we really enjoyed it, man. Thanks for taking the time. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having, having me on. Yeah, dude. Man. Good luck this week. Good luck at the challengers. I'm I'm sure you're gonna get that wild card. You love that Aussie Open, so uh, good luck. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. All righty. We'll take care. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Noah Rubin. As you all know, we're big next-gen guys around here at Cracked Rackets, so we're excited to see where American tennis will be and uh, will take us in 2018. But uh, enjoy your time off in the offseason, Noah, and thanks again for coming on. We, uh, we're excited to see what 2018 will bring you. Next time, uh, Blue Chip Senior Axel Neve, Blue Chip Junior Jensen Brooksby, and we've also got Oklahoma commit Mason Byler coming on the horizon for you. Also been in talks with USTA coach Diego Moyano and former TCU standout and current pro Cameron Nori. so stay tuned. Uh, as always, we appreciate all the support. Couldn't do this without you guys, but go subscribe to the Cracked Interviews podcast as well as the Great Shot podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. And please, please, please don't forget to rate and review our podcast at iTunes. We're also now on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Player FM for those Android users out there. So go check us out. And we will see you next time with Jensen Brooksby. Hello, and every day it is a pleasure.